From KCRW, I'm Bob Carlson, and this is Unfictional. It's a program of personal documentaries, radio movies that feel like a journey. There's always been a yearning for the sense of solitude. From early on, Magnus has felt the pull of the ocean. We set out on a sailboat, my friends and I, from Stockholm on August 11, 1977, to sail around the world. On the ocean, you are the only thing within sight, with nothing but time and solitary serenity. The books you can read and and the horizon that you can look at and the incredible sky at night and the blue yonder beneath you, just being part of the cosmos, being part of the suns rising in the east and setting in the west and floating through, through space in a way. And there was this one time in particular, they'd been sailing for days without seeing any signs of civilization, when they came to an island. Isla Genovesa, or Darwin Island, it's one of the smallest islands in the Galapagos group. You felt that there had never been anybody there before you. But you can't have total solitude very long. As I row in with the dinghy, suddenly there is smoke on the island coming up. This island is inhabited. The thing about other people is, they're freaking everywhere. And there were two guys and they were studying the finches on the island. They were both ornithologists from Ann Arbor, one of them, and the other guy was from England. F***ing ornithologists. On this episode of Unfictional, if everybody gets to have serenity, then maybe nobody does. After a mudslide took out a highway last year and then a bridge collapse, a handful of people that live in Big Sur, California, were effectively cut off from the rest of the world for months last year. It was at the height of the tourist season, but they had the place all to themselves. And they started seeing it almost for the first time, started thinking maybe they'd like to keep everybody out permanently. But coming up in a minute, we found a secret way in, and we're going on a road trip. From KCRW, it's unfictional and Big Sur, The Secret Road. Introducing the KCRW Donation Car, designed to be recycled. This first-of-its-kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car, already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com cars. From KCRW, this is Unfictional. And normally if you want to drive between Los Angeles and San Francisco, There are two ways you can go. One way takes a quick five or six hours, travels through farms and outlet malls, and for miles and miles it smells like cows. The second way takes eight or ten hours, but travels along one of the most beautiful roads in the world, Highway 1, the Pacific Coast Highway. It runs right along the western edge of California. In many spots, the road is isolated, cut into the side of a mountain and all that's between you and the Pacific Ocean is a sheer rocky cliff. And along the way, you'll drive right through Big Sur, a tiny town but a mecca for hikers, artists, and writers. It's so beloved, though, that Highway 1 is jammed through town in the summer months, usually. Campgrounds are crowded. Hikers compose selfies at every Instagrammable spot. 
and because of the din, no one can hear the dramatic waves crashing on the cliffs anymore. A massive landslide has buried a scenic part of a California road. Then, in early 2017, heavy rains caused a huge mudslide, cutting off a section of the Pacific Coast Highway just south of Big Sur. Then, just after that, the bridge into town on the north side was damaged and had to be demolished. So now Big Sur was totally inaccessible for months, all through summer, the most touristy months. And there was a day during that time when Magnus, the guy sailing you heard at the beginning of this story, well, he called me, he lives in Big Sur, and he was willing to tell us about this one tiny secret road into town where longtime residents were once again living in a place they hadn't seen for 30 years. So we sent two reporters on a road trip, Paulina Velasco, Californian and fan of beautiful nature, and Carla Green, unfictional associate producer who is a New Yorker and skeptical of beautiful nature. From KCRW, it's unfictional and Big Sur, The Secret Road. Hello? Hi, Magnus, it's Carla Green calling from Unfictional. Hey, Hi. how are you? I'm good, how are you? We were calling this guy Magnus. He was going to tell us about how to get around the blockade and into Big Sur, where he lives. And he did. He told us about this road. We promised not to say the road's name on the radio. Oh, yeah, we see it. Oh, my gosh, it's such a curvy road. <laughs> it's a great road. You have no problem. It's like it's a wonderful road. Yeah, it looks, it looks great. That's why it's a secret. You can't be talking Ooh. about it. We, 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 won't, we won't tell anyone on the radio about the we'll road. We'll just say that we have a secret way of getting it. out of the bag, we'll, and it, it will come out of the bag no matter what we do. We'll, say it's, a, we'll say it's a secret road. So we left to drive up. My very first trip up the one or, as everyone outside of California calls it, Route 1. I grew up in New York, and I don't know much about California. As we drove, as she often does, Paulina would teach me things about California. Can you believe, did you know that the coast of California used to be all redwoods? That the redwoods that exist now are only, like, something like... 1% of what used to exist. Wow. It all got cut down to build San Francisco, and then San Francisco burned in, like, 1906. <laughs> what a waste. Oh, yeah. Actually, before we went, I had never heard of Big Sur before. It's apparently very famous. Yeah, Carla, millions of tourists go there every year. It's been the setting for movies and books. Henry Miller, the famously raunchy author, he lived there in the 40s, I think. I fell in Big Sur by accident. I never knew Big Sur. And in fact, for a long time, Big Sur has been a destination for writers, musicians, artists, bohemian types. Jack Kerouac hung out with his beat poet friends and wrote about the place. Big Sur by Jack Kerouac. Copyright 1962. Some people are just drawn to this beautiful and remote spot hanging off the edge of California. Buckle up and enjoy the ride on the most spectacular roadway in America, the Pacific Coast Highway. So, back in the car, we found the secret road. We're almost turning off, right? It's like an hour away? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we're an hour away. Well, Paulina did. I don't really drive. Yeah, I, I, up in New York. I was stuck. Oh, cause you grew up in New York. I was stuck driving the whole time, and I was so terrified. These roads are so tiny. 
I was not worried about driving because I have full faith in Paulina. Yeah, that and you just napped. I also napped. <laughs> We're driving on a very curvy road. There's this moment where you turn, you turn around a corner in the road and you go down a kind of an intense hill and then this like beautiful panorama of like these like kind of weird mountains. Weird mountains? The beautiful mountains. Paulina, the Californian, would like to correct me. (laughs) And so finally we arrived at the one. Yeah, and the road, this must be where the slip happened because the the road road is super super bumpy. bumpy. (laughs) It's not like the normal one. And it was just these beautiful, idyllic views, and there was no one. All these huge redwoods lining the super blue ocean. It was such a sunny day. Totally looks like a postcard. We drove past part of the end of the mudslide and then onto the one, and it kind of felt like we'd gone back in time a little bit. Like, all of a sudden, there were no cars, and it was this beautiful landscape. And then we arrived at the library. Henry Miller Library. Henry Miller Library. Books, music, art, closed. We're here. Nice. And we met Magnus Torian for the very first time. Hello. Hi, Hello, Magnus. Yes. Hello. Hello. Hi, lovely to meet you. So Magnus is this Swedish guy who's lived in Big Sur for a long time. And he has this kind of crazy story of how he ended up in Big Sur. He's from Sweden and he worked on sailboats like as a sailor for a while when he was younger, in his 20s. He was in Tahiti and all over the South Pacific and in Latin America. And then he came through Big Sur at one point when he was hitchhiking down to Panama to pick up a boat. But he loved it so much that he came back. And then he met a girl. And they ended up going on a date and then driving in her car. Here, let's let Magnus tell it. Dirt road, winding road, underneath trees that are huge like the redwoods. And it all is very, very uh, romantic and kind of fairy tale like Driven by the most beautiful girl in the world, you know. And so then you never left. And then I never left, right, right. Yes. Magnus runs the Henry Miller Library where we met him. It's this little log cabin surrounded by redwoods. There's a big grassy lawn out front and a brook out back. Obviously, since it's a library, there are lots of books inside. Miller's and other people's. The walls are covered with vintage posters of movies that have been made out of Miller's books. Two rambunctious cats live there also. There's a framed letter outside that calls the library the place where nothing happens. It's kind of the library's unofficial slogan, but actually, a lot of stuff happens there. Magnus has organized listening parties and concerts. The Flaming Lips even played there once. When you first drive into Big Sur from the south, up the one, the library is one of the first things you come across. It's in that chunk of town that was totally cut off after the mudslide and the bridge demolition. Residents have started calling that chunk of town the island. The area above the bridge, which is still accessible from the north, That's called the mainland. And normally at this time, Magnus told us, the library would be full of tourists. Tuesday in July, August, there would be at least 30 or 40 people here right now. And they would be sitting here, somebody was sitting over there with a guitar. There would be people laying on the grass here. There would be people inside the library. People would be sitting reading books and people play ping pong over there on the ping pong table then. You know, <laughs> so. so you think like a couple dozen people would be here probably, and yeah. here right now, we're just there's no one, it's just yeah, us. Right. 
Usually, that one road in and out of town, Magnus told us, the one we drove in on that was empty, is impossibly busy. There are these turnouts where you can stop and look at the beautiful panoramas along the road. You know, you can't stop in peace in one of those beautiful turnouts because there is simply no place to stop. But it's not just tourists that are changing Big Sur. Homeownership is pretty much out of the question for anybody who grew up in Big Sur, unless they win the lottery. It's money, too. There was a place we used to call Million Dollar Point that now seems like a million dollars. What a (laughs) discount, you know? It's really like $24 million point. So this is Erin Gaffel. She grew up in Big Sur at this restaurant called Nepente, half a mile north of the library, still on the island. It's got this big balcony kind of carved out of the mountainside with sweeping views of the ocean. She had this totally hippy-dippy childhood in Big Sur, running around making toys while the adults were tripping on LSD, stuff like that. But things are different now, she says. The house, when I was a little girl, my mother lived with us in a, in a cold water shack in Anderson Canyon, which just sold for like $34 million owning property. I stopped thinking about it for myself a long, long time ago. The thing is, the whole local economy has morphed to fit around tourists and wealthy visitors at this point. I went to school because of the tourism here. This is Brian Palafox, whose whole family works at Post Ranch, which is a swanky resort in Big Sur. Money from Post Ranch, or Post as people there call it, put him through college, he says. Like My dad's the groundskeeper at Post. Um, he's out of this job because Post has been so popular. But then the mudslide happened. The bridge was demolished. And all of a sudden, Big Sur was totally cut off. And it was just quiet. No visitors, no tourism. Here's Aaron. So there are no cars. There were no people. You could hear the birds, like, just the movement of, of the birds in the air. And there were more, there are more birds. And then in the morning, I hear more birds when I wake up and I see more birds. And I hear things that I never heard. So for months, it was like this. For Aaron and Magnus and everyone else in Big Sur, Aaron and her husband Tom were actually in Mexico when the road got closed, so they had to helicopter back in to get home. And at first, Aaron said it was inconvenient. So I remember one day um, my daughter needed a Claritin, and we walked a mile and a half to the deli. It took us like an hour. Plus, we ran into all these people on the highway, so we're talking to people, catching up, back at the house with a glass of water and a Claritin. And I just, I say, God, it takes a long time to get the simplest thing done. And she said, well, it's not so important to be so productive. It's like you enjoy the thing you did more. And isn't that better? Here's Magnus. It has been a beautiful time. Uh, the quiet is, is, again, the fundamental essence of what Big Sur is, is a place where, where you experience the quiet and the grandeur of this incredible landscape. Do you think that there's some people who wish that the road just stayed closed off? Of course. I do, on some, on some level, absolutely. I mean, you think one morning you wake up and, God, wouldn't it be nice if... You know, bridge A, B, and C just fell as well. (laughs) You're shut off from the whole world. Exactly. After we talked to Magnus and Aaron on the island, we wanted to go to the mainland, where cars could still drive down from the north. Because the people on the mainland were still part of the Big Sur community, but they hadn't been completely isolated by the road closures. They still had tourists, probably less, 
but we needed to know what they thought about being cut off from the other half of town. And when we talked to islanders about the mainland, there was always something in their voices, something we couldn't really put our fingers on. It was as though the bridge coming down had severed a kind of solidarity, some kind of umbilical cord that had connected the two halves of Big Sur. We wanted to know what that was about. So we drove up past Nepente, past the local bar, the Tap House it's called, to this part of the road that had essentially become a parking lot. It was the end of the island. We parked and we got out. You still couldn't drive across, but by this time they had opened up a hiking trail to connect the two halves of Big Sur, the island and the mainland, across the ravine that separates them, where the bridge used to be. So we hiked across. Here we have, like, right in front of us are some bay trees and beautiful redwoods up to the right. We hiked down into the valley. It's this beautiful path through the redwoods. There are these winding wooden steps kind of hammered into the hillside. And then back up the other side. And when we emerged from the forest, we were on the mainland. The northern part of Big Sur that was never fully cut off. We had people we wanted to see, talk to, on the mainland. But now we had no car. We left it on the island. So to get around, we had to hitchhike. We're hitchhiking on island. I think hitchhiking is technically illegal. But we're not hitchhiking. We're not hitchhiking. We're just getting a ride from some friendly strangers. And it took a while for anyone to pick us up. And I was a little bit salty about it. Nope. He actually sort of went out of his way to, like, move farther away from us. I know, they keep going away. What if we get a ride in a convertible like this one? I think they're all, like, fancy tourists. They're not going to pick us up. There's a red convertible coming. Maybe the red convertible will take us. No. What? Hello. What is that supposed to mean? But then, finally, this really nice girl from Santa Cruz picked us up. Oh, thanks. Hi, I'm Paulina. She dropped us off near a dirt road that butted up against the edge of the mainland, where the bridge had been demolished. We were going to see a mainlander who lived on that dirt road, a guy Magnus had told us to see. And it was while we were visiting this guy that I felt like I really got it, like I really understood what was going on in Big Sur. The guy's name was Tracy. Tracy Cheeseborough. He loves Big Sur, and he knows it better than almost anyone. When the bridge got demolished, before the official hiking path had opened up, Tracy had already found a half-dozen unofficial, unsanctioned trails through the woods to get across to the island. He wanted to get to the tap house, his favorite bar. Tracy's like an honorary islander, but he lives technically on the mainland. He and Magnus are good friends. They're in a band called The Songs Hotbox Harry Taught Us. And so we just walked along this road. It was a dirt road. There were these beautiful redwoods on either side. I think they're redwoods, right? Yeah, definitely. It was completely empty. We were walking in the middle of the road. And then finally we got to the bottom of Tracy's driveway. He came to pick us up in this rusty white VW pickup. And the trip up his driveway was so scary. It's really curvy and narrow and steep. Yeah, just raged through here. When we got to his house, Tracy was telling us about how the road that we were walking down the middle of is usually just full of cars passing every second. Cars, 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 cars. All the publicity on the internet about Pfeiffer Beach. My little one-lane road becomes impassable because of the gridlock. They're all going to this beach, Pfeiffer Beach, at the end of his road. Tracy said it's listed on some Chinese tourism website. But he took us down, and then when we were there, there's no one there. 
It's a beautiful beach. The sand is purple. There are these gorgeous arches that frame the ocean. It's quiet. You can hear the waves. It felt almost like a private beach. And it was obvious that the beach was way nicer empty, the way we saw it, than it would have been with a bunch of tourists sitting around taking pictures. And it was after we saw Pfeiffer Beach that I really understood what people were talking about. It's complicated, though. Like, Aaron said stuff like this to us. I don't feel like I have any more right to this place than somebody coming here through for the first time. I feel like it's an incredible privilege to be able to wake up here every day, but I don't have a sense of keep everyone out. But then, after Aaron said that to us, Magnus came to pick us up. And we were standing there wrapping up our recording equipment. And Magnus and Aaron started talking in these hushed tones about events for Islanders that they wanted to have. Like exclusive events. Before the bridge opened up. Before all the visitors flooded back in. And so one of the things, one of the Islanders-only events that they were having was this film festival that Magnus puts on every year. But he was having special Islander-only screenings and a pente. And we got invited. Welcome to the third installation of the Island of, of the 11th annual uh, short film screening series. Makes our short film screening series. A few dozen residents, Islanders, are hanging out on the porch of Nepente, the restaurant just north of the Henry Miller Library. We're waiting for nightfall so we can turn the projector on and see the movies. The fog that's been covering the canyons is letting up, so the ocean is glittering in the sunset. It's beautiful. And there were a bunch of movies that were up for consideration. And then at one point in the night, Magnus put on his own series of short films that everyone seemed familiar with. We didn't know about them. And the character that he plays in these videos is named Sven. Hippie Sven. So it opens on a black screen with a text, and it says, Sven is alone in Big Sur, south of the bridge and north of the slides. And then Sven appears. And he calls out, Hello, it's me, Sven, in Swedish and the subtitles. And no one's responding, right? Because Sven's all alone. And the scene keeps changing over and over. He's all alone, throwing rocks over a cliff's edge into a plunging valley. He's lonely. And the subtitles read, if you see Sven, say hello. And then the screen fades to black. Big Sur is usually worlds away from the dreamy, empty, natural playground in the Sven video. The Henry Miller Big Sur that people imagine. But when the island got cut off by the mudslide and the bridge demolition, suddenly, by accident, the islanders were transported back to this idyllic, quiet version of the town that hasn't really existed in decades. And that's what all of Big Sur was reckoning with, what Sven was reckoning with, that they'd somehow stumbled into this idealized version of Big Sur, that that Big Sur wasn't and couldn't be accessible to everyone, and also that it was going away. Because even while we were there, while the island was still cut off from both sides, the outsiders were starting to trickle back in. Like here. This is from when we were at Tracy's house. Another helicopter from Post Ranch, yeah. Bring him in. How often do you get those helicopters? Well, it's like every, every half hour, right? He's talking about Post Ranch, that fancy resort where Brian Palafox's family works. They'd managed to stay open through the closure because they were just helicoptering people in. Their wealthiest clients, the clients who could afford it. Right. And we kept hearing about these helicopters. That night, we went to the Tap House, the local bar, Tracy's favorite bar. 
It was our last night in Big Sur. It's a smallish bar with wood paneling and beers pretty cheap on tap. If you imagine what you'd expect Big Sur's local bar to look like, you're probably picturing the right thing. And so when we walked up with the mic and the recorder, we didn't even have to say who we were because Tracy was already there drinking. He told people we were coming. That's where I met Brian Palafox. Most ranches have been helicoptering people in. Yeah, they've been helicoptering people in, which is obviously not normal. Like, it's, it's really cool. But, um, yeah, there's obviously, like, it's noisy. People don't like noise, especially in an area like Big Sur. And, and Post Ranch is doing this to... It's, it's to be open and to sustain all these people's jobs. We kept hearing about this all night, this push back and forth. Tourists are good for the economy, but it's so much nicer without them. Helicopters are good for the resort, but the noise. Even one guy who lost his job because of the mudslide said he was still glad it had happened. No one could really make up their minds. Like, here's Carol Shadwell, whose family has run a small resort on the mainland for years. Uh, I've never said I wanted the road to stay closed on both sides forever. <laughs> but if it takes them a long time to clear off that big one to the south, I'm not going to complain about that. And I do care about the businesses and the people that are suffering. But Big Sur, Big Sur comes first for me. From the moment we arrived at the tap house that last night, there was this never-ending flood of people who wanted to talk to us, lean close to the mic and tell us the real truth about Big Sur. But there was one guy who was sitting alone at a table all night. He never came up to us. So I went up to him. So what's your name? It was hard to miss him. He had this long, straight black hair and a denim-collared shirt. He had two cross earrings and a necklace that had teeth on it. And he told me they were teeth from a mountain lion he'd hunted. He killed my chickens. The mountain lion killed your chickens. So he killed a mountain lion, which I found totally unbelievable. And then he told me that a little while later, a giant blackbird came and hunted the same flock of chickens. So he killed the bird. He still had chickens left? Yeah, apparently. How did you feel when you killed the bird? I was feel good because all those chickens is my babies. How would you feel if someone killed your babies, he asked me. I told him I'd feel upset. Okay, I feel that way. Ray told me he's Mexican, indigenous Mexican. He called himself a Chumas Indian. He's been living in Big Sur for about a year and a half. I asked him whether he felt the way Magnus did, like whether he dreamed about Big Sur being cut off for good. And he said, no. Tourists don't do anything wrong, he said. It's not like they cut trees down in the forest to build fancy houses. What tourists they what they do? Yeah. Just they came visiting this place in here. Visitors, you know? But they, they never do nothing wrong. They never go and get a chainsaw and cut trees, boom, boom, boom. If you really want to talk about who's from here, Ray said, you have to go back further to when all the land belonged to the native population. Indians, he said. His family. They said, we was the first people who was living here in Big Sur. No, it was my, my parents, so Indians. There's this big question hanging over all of Big Sur, pretty much all of the time. What is Big Sur, and what should it be? And who should get to decide what it is? What I hope for is that they've come with an intention of really seeing it and hearing it and feeling it and being in it and and receiving it. People like Aaron from Nepente, people who've lived in Big Sur for a long time, keep coming back to this question. There are also this whole culture we have of selfie culture. 
oh, I saw a picture of a celebrity standing in front of this view from people who don't necessarily seek what Big Sur offers. They all have ideas of what it should be like and what it shouldn't be like. Went into the campground and witnessed a neo-psychedelic, full-blown, ultra-amplified, high-wattage rock and roll festival. But in the end, it's kind of a moot point. Because unless something radical changes, unless the one suddenly falls into the ocean or some billionaire somehow buys it all up as a private resort, Big Sur is going to be whatever each individual visitor or resident makes of it, all at once. Nobody gets to decide what Big Sur really is, because everybody does. Big Sur, The Secret Road was produced by Carla Green and Paulina Velasco. Sound design, mix, and some of the music by Ray Guarna. Other original music was composed by Chris Katinas. And last October, the bridge above Big Sur was finally reopened, and the town was once again accessible, at least from the north. You can find photos from Carla and Paulina's road trip at kcrw.com unfictional, where you can also find all our past programs in the archives. Unfictional is produced by me, Bob Carlson. The editor is Nick White. The associate producer is Carla Green. Theme music by Alex Weston, with music help from Joe Augustine and Narrative Music. Look for us on Twitter and Facebook, and I invite you to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and write a review if you like the show. I'm Bob Carlson. Please join me next time for Unfictional on KCRW.